Uh, well, you see that um, not all of the talks in this seminar are directly thematically on the subject of beauty. We have um, also, from the very beginning of our planning, wanted to uh, build into the seminar something uh, about the general philosophical position of von Hildebrand, um, a philosophical position that can be described as Christian personalism. And so, um, especially in the afternoon, there are talks that try to situate von Hildebrand as a personalist. And yesterday's talk by Dr. Vanish picked up a personalist theme in von Hildebrand, the heart the center of affectivity. Uh, that, that's one good way to get acquainted with von Hildebrand as personalist, to look at such distinctive personalist themes. Now, the day before, my colleague Michael Healy took a somewhat different approach. He discussed personalism by bringing in Gabriel Marcel, the great French personalist, as a kindred spirit of von Hildebrand. So that's, uh, that's my approach this afternoon. I want to look at the great Polish personalist, Karol Wojtyla, otherwise known to the world as John Paul II. He is without a doubt the best known personalist in the Christian world today. So in this paper, I want to introduce you to his uh, personalism uh, von Hildebrand entirely shares it, and you'll understand better uh, the philosophical world from which von Hildebrand comes uh, through this reflection or this brief introduction to Karol Wojtyla's personalism. Now, <clears throat> Wojtyla um, was very concerned with this so-called turn to the subject, which, as you know, is often said to be the signature of modern thought. And one commonly thinks, especially within the world of Catholic thought, that this turn to the subject is a very bad thing, the root of many evils in the modern world, especially the root of all kinds of subjectivism where uh, reality gets dissolved into the experiencing of the person. So one commonly thinks, as I say, within the Catholic world that instead of turning to the subject, our task is to return to the object. Only in this way can we remain connected with reality. Now, while Wojtyla certainly makes no concessions to subjectivism. He thinks that the turn to the subject can be understood in an entirely positive way. And more exactly, he thinks that there is a way of turning to the subject that lets us deepen our understanding of man as person. So he thinks that the Christian personalism, so dear to him, is possible only if personal subjectivity is explored in a new way, and only if it is taken more seriously. 
than it was in earlier ages of philosophy. So <clears throat> what exactly does Wojtyla mean by subjectivity? It always amazed me that even as Pope in addresses and homilies, he would use that term, subjectivity. I'm sure often to the perplexity of his listeners. Now, uh, the idea is not at all difficult uh, to grasp. Through my subjectivity, I exist as a subject, not just as an object. As subject, I live my being from within. And I don't just encounter it from without. Of course, I can also experience myself from without. This happens whenever I see myself as others see me. But there is an experience of myself from within that only I can have. This language of from within suggests to us the interiority of the human being. Interiority, in fact, is almost interchangeable with subjectivity. Subjectivity, why, that's just me living out of my inner center. One could maybe say it like this. As subject, I am present to myself from within. That's a very expressive phrase. I cannot, in the same way, be present to anyone else, nor can anyone else be present to me as I am to myself. In being present to myself, I live from within the fact that I am myself and no other. Another would have to be me in order to be present to me as I am to myself. This self-presence forms a contrast with me thinking about myself as object, uh, an object that's given equally to me and to others. So, for example, I may think about my career as a teacher and compare it with the careers of my colleagues. And in this case, my access to my career is just like the access they have to it when they listen to what I say about our careers. My career becomes a public object to which I and they have equal access. But in my self-presence, I am withdrawn from public view so that I alone have access to myself and thereby I, as person, exist in a certain solitude, very characteristic for personal being. <clears throat> of course, I know, I know perfectly well there is subjectivity and self-presence in others, in each of you. Um, and you know that about me. In that sense, my self-presence isn't hidden from others, nor is yours hidden from me. But there is a difference between knowing about the self-presence of others and being present to others as I am to myself. I can know about the self-presence of another, but I can only be present to myself. Now, there's a, a striking way in which St. Augustine anticipates this idea that we uh, find in Wojtyla. Uh, this gives you an idea of how 
St. Augustine merits to be called the first personalist. Uh, so there's a wonderful passage in his treatise on the Trinity, book 10. I think it's the first discussion in Western philosophy of subjectivity. And the thought goes like this. He examines uh, the way in which we can search for something that we don't yet know. So he gives these examples. We may want to know what a foreign word means, or know what the real intention of another person is. Or, his other example, we may want to know something about the angels. And the mere fact of wanting to know these unknown things doesn't make them known to us. We have to go on and make some investigation in order to come to know them. But if the mind wants to know itself, Augustine says, there is no further investigation to be made in the very wanting to know itself it is present to itself, and thus has attained what it seeks and has nothing further to seek. And so in book 10, Augustine asks again and again as a kind of refrain, what is closer to the mind than the mind itself? He clearly realizes that this is not a closeness of the mind to itself as object, but rather a closeness of the mind to itself as subject. It is the subjectivity of human beings that Augustine marvels at. And I think no one in the history of philosophy before him uh, uh, marveled and focused on subjectivity like that. But let's return to Carol Wojtyla. He makes the, the claim central to his personalism that Nothing reveals man as person like subjectivity or interiority does. He thinks that without bringing subjectivity into the discussion, we can think of man as a rational animal, as an individual substance of a rational nature, but that we have not yet captured man as person and have not yet what m understood what most of all distinguishes us from the animals and makes us irreducible to them. Now, let me try to um, make very concrete for you this connection between subjectivity and being a person. And first, I want to make reference to John Paul's uh, theology of the body. At the beginning of these famous addresses, certainly one of the richest things in the whole immense legacy of uh, John Paul, this theology of the body that he uh, offered to the church in the early years of his pontificate. And at the beginning of these addresses, he meditates on the two different Genesis accounts of the creation of man. The second one, he says, is more subjective than the first. That is, it expresses the subjectivity of Adam and Eve more than the first account does. The subjective Genesis account, for example, speaks of the shame that Adam and Eve felt 
on account of their nakedness after they had sinned. Now, shame is a mode of self-presence. It is a way of being present to oneself before another. John Paul says that he prefers to use this more subjective Genesis account for his theology of the body because it yields a more personalist understanding of man and woman. Adam and Eve encounter each other in an eminently personal way when they feel this shame in relation to each other. Now the first Genesis account speaks of Adam and Eve being fruitful and multiplying, but this fertility of theirs does not express their subjectivity in the same way. Fertility is evident from without. It is not experienced only from within. Nor does fertility express their personhood like shame does. Animals can be fruitful and multiply, but only persons can feel shame. So it is entirely understandable that John Paul, in search of a personalist understanding of man and woman, <coughs> prefers to work with the more subjective Genesis account of the creation of man and woman. And so we readily see here that connection between subjectivity and personhood, which is almost the central intuition of his personalism. Let me give you another example. Um, as I say, to make uh, the, uh, this turn to the subject as concrete as possible. Consider my own death. I can consider it objectively, as when I think, that all living beings die and that I, as a living being, am included in that universal mortality. Knowing about my death in this way, I know about my death just like you know about it, and I know about yours just like you know about yours. If, by contrast, I experience from within the approach of my death, if I experience it as emphatically my death, and not anyone else's, if I experience it in my bones, in my self-presence, and do not just cognize it as a matter of objective fact, then I experience it in an eminently personal way. I have shifted from an objective to a subjective way of anticipating my death. <laughs> And I have, Wojtyla says, shifted from the objective cognition of my coming death to the lived experience of it. And as a result, I anticipate my death in a much more personal way. One more example. Uh, consider two ways of coming to know another person. I can look at a person from the outside, examining mainly his or her behavior. Or I can try to understand him or her from within by empathy. Clearly, the latter approach that works with empathy lets me encounter the other better as subject and hence better as person. You see how uh, 
empathy enters into the other as person. You see why that is the case? Because by empathy, I enter into the subjectivity of the other. Whereas the subjectivity remains shut and closed and out of view when I just look at the behavior of the other. Well, now we're in a position to understand the contrast that Wojtyla draws. Uh, and these are his very expressive terms between what he calls the cosmological image of man and the personalist image of man. It is simply the contrast between man considered from without and apart from any special attention to his subjectivity and man considered from within with special attention to his subjectivity or interiority. The cosmological image does not underline, does not bring out uh, man as person, whereas that's exactly what the personalist image does. Thus, for Wojtyla, the view of man in the first mentioned Genesis account is mainly cosmological, whereas in the second, it is distinctly personalist. The cosmological image, we could say, expresses a snug fit of man in the world of nature as if we existed as a kind of part of this vaster whole, whereas the personalist image expresses the sense of man as incommensurable with the cosmos, as radically irreducible, as a being of another order altogether. So in the cosmological setting, the problem of objectivizing human beings hardly arises, whereas in the personalist setting, this problem uh, constantly arises and we are constantly expressing the mistreatment of human beings in terms of excessively objectivizing them. In the cosmological setting, we think of man in terms taken from the study of nature, such as matter and form, act and potency, genus and species. Whereas in the personalist setting, we think of man in categories that have no place in the study of nature, categories such as self-presence, self-possession, intersubjectivity, and so on. Wojtyla says that in order to develop the personalist image of man, we need the concept of lived experience, uh, this experiencing from within, a concept that plays no role in the philosophy of nature or in developing the cosmological image of man. Now, Wojtyla gets a bit provocative. Um, when he says in many of his philosophical papers that the image of man that we receive from Aristotle that dominates the Aristotelian tradition is a heavily cosmological image. And he thinks that it is only recently, that is in the last few centuries, that a more personalist understanding of man has emerged. He even writes in an essay of his entitled Thomistic Personalism that 
the personalist dimension of man based on subjectivity and interiority is very underdeveloped, he thinks, in the thought of St. Thomas. So uh, that kind of critical distance to um, the philosophical tradition will raise eyebrows. <clears throat> However, note that he does speak of a Thomistic personalism, and this implies that he thinks that a synthesis of Thomism and personalism is possible. He thinks of his own thought in just those terms. And the basis for this fruitful synthesis of the Aristotelian Thomistic tradition and the personalism that Wojtyla articulates, the basis is this. Wojtyla has no intention of replacing the cosmological image with the personalist. The cosmological image of man has its truth. We really are beings that can be apprehended from without. We really are also objects, even if not exclusively objects. We learn new things about ourselves when we understand what others see in us. So for Wojtyla, the composite nature of man, traditionally expressed in terms of body and soul, terms that Wojtyla, of course, entirely makes his own, that composite nature can also be expressed in terms of subject and object. And just as we human persons are not all soul and no body, so we are not all subject, not pure subjectivity with no objective dimension of our being. A good example of the danger of neglecting the objective in man can be found in today's debates about gender identity. Take a biological male who experiences himself as a woman. If he lets this self-experience trump the truth about his biological makeup, he is letting the subjective interfere with the objective in an extremely problematic way. So that would be uh, uh, one obvious respect in which uh, this world of subjectivity doesn't take over and become the whole of man. There's a norm for well and badly ordered subjectivity in <coughs> our bodily being. So, Wojtyla holds the complementarity of the cosmological, as he calls it, and personalist uh, image of man. And his project is not to substitute the personalist for the cosmological, but to enrich the traditional Aristotelian Thomistic understanding of man by adding the personalist dimension to the long-recognized cosmological dimension. And in this way, he arrives at a position that he calls Thomistic personalism. And I might mention here my um, dear friend, the Jesuit philosopher, uh, Norris Clark, who uh, died a few years ago, uh, himself um, a very serious Thomist. But he encountered in 
the last decades of his life, he encountered very closely this personalism of Wojtyla. And he began doing major surgery on his own Thomism and spoke of himself increasingly as a Thomistic personalist um, under the influence of Wojtyla. And he thought of that as a very legitimate development of his Thomism, not uh, simply pasting two uh, uh, things together that don't fit uh, or of making some kind of uh, cheap compromise. He thought the real organic future of Thomism involved the incorporation of these personalist ideas of Wojtyla. Now, as I say, the central idea of the essay is that a deeper, let me say it again, a deeper understanding of man must be built on a deeper understanding, excuse me, deeper understanding of man as person must be built on a deeper understanding of man as subject, as a being of subjectivity or interiority. And um, we therefore find, it's not surprising, that we find Wojtyla exploring all kinds of subjective structures of the human person in his philosophical writings. For example, he has a lot to say about what he calls the self-possession or the belonging to oneself of each human person. And he means that as person, I'm not just a being that's objectively there, but that I exist in a certain reflexive way, um, being handed over to myself. On the basis of this self-possession, I am in a position to determine myself in freedom, and also to make a gift of myself to another. An animal isn't into self-giving because it, in the first place, doesn't sufficiently belong to itself or possess itself. So one sees the connection here with subjectivity. I experience these personal structures, like self-possession, uh, the capacity and vocation for self-gift, I first of all experience that in my self-presence. I experience them from within, not as an object over against me. In being present to myself, I experience myself as handed over to myself. And in being present to myself, I begin to experience my freedom in this way. Wojtyla uh, explains more exactly uh, how it is that in this lived experience of self-presence, I come to myself as person. I quicken, as it were, into being as person. <clears throat> and there's one other very significant fact, um, close to the end. Uh, hang on, but I can't leave out this uh, point. Uh, a deeply significant dimension of the person that shows itself in our subjectivity, according to Wojtyla. He refers again and again in his philosophical writings to a certain unrepeatability of each person. When a human being is understood to be a person, he is at the same time understood to be more 
than just an instance of the humankind. A human person does not just exist to instantiate and to perpetuate the humankind, but exists for his or her own sake. So a human person is never just a human being, another one, but is always this unrepeatable person. Each person has, you might say, and Wojtyla puts it this way, a surplus of being uh, beyond having human nature. And thereby each of us is established in an individuality, being this and no other, an individuality uh, that is a far more powerful individuality than that of a specimen or an instance of a type or a kind. Now, Oitiba thinks that the sense for this unrepeatability of the person is much more developed in the personalist image than in the cosmological image of man. This is because this mysterious individuality whereby each person is unrepeatable, unsubstitutable, comes fully to evidence only when we experience a person living out of his or her own center. So a more behavioral approach from the outside won't touch, won't reach this mystery of unrepeatable selfhood in each person. So let me return to the beginning of the paper where I said that for Wojtyla, the modern turn to the subject need not end in subjectivism relativism, or any of those malignant isms, this turn to the subject can sensitize us to the subjectivity or interiority that makes us to be persons and can let us understand more deeply than before the mystery of each human person. When then we are asked uh, what that personalism that concerns us uh, in this seminar is, we can answer with Wojtyla that it is the understanding of man that is enriched by taking account of the dimension of subjectivity and interiority. Now, this may not give us the whole of personalism, but it captures something very important about it. And it lets us situate von Hildebrand in a larger family of personalist thinkers. Thank you.